and I wrote Taming of the True and Richard Bree and Richard Two and Henry's Four and Five and Six and Titus Andronicus. And oh, did I forget Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> Welcome back to Playdate, everybody. <laughs> Sounds like you're playing the kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Welcome, welcome back, everybody. It is season two of Playdate here, live, Coming at you from New York City and Jersey City. Both of the cities. (laughs) They share the same river. Just a couple (laughs) of biddies in the cities. (laughs) Uh, Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back and and listening to us. Um, I hope you guys had a great little, I guess, holiday break. We sort of broke over the the holidays. Isn't that right? Yeah, pretty much. We ended around October. Yeah, and, that's yeah. Now we're back. We got we hit all the all the all the big ones that involve a lot of food. Yes, exactly. Hope you ate lots of food. Hope you're enjoying the start of 2022. May it be better than the last two years. <laughs> um, we are so excited. Uh, we have some amazing guests lined up for you this season. We can't wait to show, share all of this awesome stuff we've been working on um, with you. Um, so before we kind of dive into the show, there's, you know, I think a couple of little things um, that we just want to announce, just sort of um, put on your radar. Uh, Julia, do you want to take it away with some of these announcements that we have? Oh, heck yeah. So first of all, a huge thank you to Levi Denton Hughes for our amazing new cover art. We have gone blue for this season. Um I don't know why. Maybe it's a symbol of blue. something. I love blue. <laughs> we love blue. All we- I have <laughs> blue. <laughs> or we're, we're blue. <laughs> a classic. Yeah. Um, and we are also welcoming the the gorgeous, illustrious, incomparable, incomparable. My my beautiful wife, Noelle Kreitz, will be joining Josh Miller on our social media team because we've we've kind of expanded. We've gone a little worldwide, haven't we, Katie? We, we do. We have listeners in over thirty six countries here at Playdate. <gasps> I don't think you knew that. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> Katie keeps track of all that. I, I I edit chunks of the episode to pass to our awesome editor, Josh Wall. Thank you for Ooh, coming you, on Josh. the team, Josh. You're the best. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, you should go check out Josh's podcast, too. If you yes. like plays and movies, go check out Frankly, I Love Movies. They're doing, actually, this one's perfect for our listeners. So they're doing a um, series where they review book-to-movie adaptations. Ooh. So if you like our podcast, there's this right You're going to love alley. Frankly, I Love Movies. Yeah. They joined us for our 39 steps. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A lot of uh, time. <laughs> it was. It was awesome. It was so fun. Um, yeah, and then last last but not least, we just want to remind you folks to give us a follow on Instagram. Um, our handle is at playdate.podcast. Again, that's at playdate.podcast. We love to hear from you guys, and we love to hear what you want us to cover because, you know, <clears throat> Julie and I, in our years and years and years of professional expertise, have a <laughs> um, have a plethora of, of plays conked up in our noggins and um some of them are not uh 
as well known. And so we want to hear what you folks want to hear um, so that we can, you know, make your daily commute, your walk with your dog, your Saturday afternoon in your living room as enjoyable as it possibly can be. Heck yeah. So with that, um, before we get into some trivia, Julia, would you like to tell our listeners what the play is that we will be talking about today? I would love nothing more, Katie. In fact, this is one of my favorite plays, and yes, I, I will put forward a good case as to why people are so mean to this play, <laughs> and they shouldn't be, because it's actually really good, guys. Um, <laughs> but we are discussing Romeo and Juliet, the greatest work of fan fiction ever written. <laughs> Julia had to absolutely fight tooth and nail throughout all of college to convince everybody that this is like Shakespeare's best play. I don't think it's uh, his best, but it is definitely like people give it so much crap because they're like, it's just about horny teenagers. And it's like, yes, it's a horny play. All of Shakespeare's plays were horny plays, but this one, it's really deep, guys, actually. We just read it too young in schools. We can't talk about the dirty bits, so it's less fun. Uh, no, I must say, after doing some deep dive into this, and today I actually watched a um, a production of this online. Oh, which one did you watch? I just watched the um, um, the Globe Theater's <gasps> production of it. The one which, with the little blonde girl as Juliet. And yeah. I love that one. Yeah. The ending's a little funky. <laughs> it's a little funky. There were some moments where I was like, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but... <laughs> but who am I? That's the Globe Theater. <laughs> they can do whatever they I want. I really want to um, see. They just did one with Alfred Enoch as oh, Romeo, and oh I would pay good money to see it because it looks so good. Yeah, um, and you know, I must say, after watching it this time and rereading it through again, and even when I read it, like, you know, uh, I think I read it like a week or so ago just to, you know, take my notes and whatever, mm-hmm. but I think... um I really enjoyed it much more this time than I have in past readings of it. Um, And I think it's just because I'm such a softy romantic (laughs) and we're getting towards Valentine's Day. So I was like, oh, (laughs) Oh, we're just feeling very lovey-dovey in our our podcast personal studios. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're talking about the great R&J, Romeo and Juliet today. And it, it is actually fan fiction. Like, that's one of the fun facts that a lot of people don't know. I didn't know that. It's it's So it's originally based on, I'm going to look it up so I don't pronounce it incorrectly. Um, so the, the play itself is based on a poem written by another British dude um, that was basically called Romeo and Juliet, but a little more fancy. Um, but it's also based on a Greek myth of... of um, Thisbe and oh, Pyramus and Thisbe. Pyramus and Thisbe. Yes, it's based. I on know that Thisbe. because Pyramus and Thisbe. That was the play we did. That, that's the play within the play during um, Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh well, it was Pyramus and Thisbe. This is basically Pyramus and Thisbe. Well, it's it's fan fiction of the poem because. Oh, cool. Basically, like Shakespeare was like, I don't like that they're putting all the blame on the kids when it's clearly on the people around the kids. So I'm gonna write a version of it that basically is like, hey, adults, stop being bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, don't do that. Don't do that, guys. <laughs> Super not cool, guys. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to do a deep dive into some trivia um, today and sort of 
talk about your trivia question and why you picked what you picked? Heck yeah. I, I got a little sneak peek of yours as I was looking at our notes. But, but you um, don't know the answer. I don't know <laughs> I the answer. put them in. So... I, as some of you know, because I've talked about it on the podcast before, I was in Romeo and Juliet a few Were years ago. Were you really? Ago. I was. <laughs> <laughs> but really, truly, it was one of the best theatrical experiences sure. I've ever yeah. had in my life. It was a really sure. lovely time. Um, and w- what some of you may not know, because I don't think we discussed this part on the podcast, is that it was set in like pre-Civil War and... Um, we were doing it in Ohio, like right on the border of West Virginia. So we kind of like had the Montagues be from Ohio and the Capulets be from Virginia. Because at the time it was Virginia, not West Virginia. Oh, sure. Um, so we we rented all of these like really gorgeous um, like period costumes for like the big ball scene and all that fun stuff. Mm, um, love it. So my question <clears throat> is... Which of the following was not used as a nickname for the ball gowns in our production of Romeo and Juliet? Oh, God. So, number one, we have Big Pink. Okay. Number two is Peachy Keen. Okay. Number three is Big Green. And number four is Gilbert Grape. Mmm. Okay, so Gilbert Grape and... And Peachy Keen definitely were names because if <laughs> there's no way in a group of actors and Shakespearean <laughs> actors at that that those names were not created. So the question is: Is it big red or is it big green? <clears throat> big pink or big green? Big pink or big yeah. green? I am gonna say that the one that I'm choosing the one that's not it. Correct? Yes. I'm going with big green. You are correct. Yes. I myself wore big pink. Big um, pink. So the the fourth one was big blue. Why wasn't it called Pinky Promise? Oh, that's so good. I just it was such a big. It literally looked like um kind of like Belle's gown from Beauty and the Beast, but pink. Oh, that's and so gorgeous. I was like, this is big pink. Or what is what's the name? Pinky's something is the name of the the bra shop in uh, oh Pinky's Parlor. <laughs> Pinky's Parlor. Pinky's Parlor. <laughs> I love that scene. (laughs) Welcome to the 60s. I'm I'm singing a lot in season two. You are singing a lot in season two. I love it. Um, um, Oh, rock on. Those are some great names, though. I'm not going to lie. Those are awesome. Thank you. So let's dive into a little bit of um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, so um, I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this show. I don't think I have because it's a very controversial opinion, but I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio Oh, that's not controversial with me. I never (laughs) liked Leonardo DiCaprio. I think, I I think, I don't know. I defy you, stars! (laughs) There's just something about him that I just don't, I don't vibe with as an actor. I don't know if it's that he, like, takes method acting to the extreme or if it's that I don't think he's as believable I guess I guess my main thing is I just don't think he I don't get the hype I don't get it I think he's good in Titanic yeah but I think yeah. everything is good about that yeah movie. I mean Titanic is a great movie you know like it's, yeah. it's but I'm it's, there for Kate Winslet let's be honest let's be honest who isn't there for Kate Winslet uh, I know someone oh, I met someone Kate who's Winslet. not there for Kate Winslet Man. we got in an argument about it <laughs> um yeah no so Whatever, but there is one movie in particular that I love, and I ex- I especially love Leonardo DiCaprio in, um, where I will watch it and like actively 
applaud his performance, which never happens. Never happens. So my trivia question is, what is my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio movie? And the reason I'm picking Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio is because he was in a production, um, a movie adaptation. A very of, famous movie. Very, adaptation. very famous movie adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Um, spoiler alert, that is not on my list of choices. It's a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> okay, that's right. I know disagree. you like it. We disagree on it. I don't like it, we but disagree. it's a style thing for me. It's I like it's not it. a talent thing. It's a, it's a style for me. But anyway. I'll say it. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'll I say think John Leguizamo is a king. <laughs> I'll say it. I respect your opinion. Okay, cool. <laughs> and I, tr- I, you know it way more than I do, so I trust you more. But um, so, what is my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Your choices are A. Catch Me If You Can, B. Shutter Island, C. Inception, or D. Wolf of Wall Street. I'll be honest, Katie. I've only seen one of these films. Okay, <laughs> I saw Shutter I, Island. I'm going to be honest. I've also only seen one of these films. <laughs> So the question is, if I quiz you about the plot points, yeah. So true. Who was your? Oh my. Okay. Okay. Um. Boom. 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 Mm -hmm. Is this stressing you out that I'm doing this with the mouse? No, it's it's fine. It feels like I'm in jeopardy. Um. Yeah. Okay. Question: Have you seen Catch Me If You Can the music the musical? Yes. Do you like it? Yes. Okay, I thought that would help me more than. (laughs) 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 Um, Do you like Christopher Nolan? Yes. Okay, I'm guessing Inception. You're incorrect. Damn. Oh, sorry. You are incorrect. <laughs> I'm already swearing. We just started. <laughs> it is. It is Sh- 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 Shutter Island. Really? I Katie, love I don't like Shutter that movie. Island. What? I don't like that what? movie. Why? It's a great film. Okay. I will say, it has a lot of actors that I genuinely love. However, I don't think that it was okay for Scorsese to show such graphic images of the Holocaust when he's not from right. that community. All right, all, all right, that's fair. I'll take it. Because I was like, I, you're, I was you're like not you wrong. didn't have yeah, to take you're not it wrong. that far, my dude. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, like, that part of the movie is very, very off-putting. Yeah. Um, very off-putting. No, you're right. I actually forgot about that, but the rest of the movie is really great. I, Mark Ruffalo is really great. Oh, Mark and Emily so Mortimer when it. she shows up like when I saw oh. Emily Mortimer's face I got really excited and yeah, um oh my gosh what's her face I never know her name but she's usually a comedy actress and she was like dramatic in this and she was so good she was she was the mom in Easy A oh god what is her name what's her name what is her name looking it up Easy A cast I Patricia love her Clanson so- yes yes yep. she is so good yeah She's fantastic. It just, I I think that the concept, that movie like literally does make me shudder. Yeah. Like, I, oh, I think it's it, very it, like, upsetting. It's very, very upsetting. Yeah. And it's really scary. Like the, the ending is like really disgusting and gross and makes me want to vomit and run away at the same time. I think yeah. they do a really good job it's with it. It's so gross. It's um, like real gross. Yeah. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio does it. Like, I don't, I think, I don't think he's trying that hard in, in that movie. No, he's very natural. He's in that like movie. very, very natural, which I really yeah. like. I hate him like trying to like <laughs> do the like, wear it until you love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Like I just want to see him like be an actor. Like yeah, I don't I don't care if he, he was win really any good awards, in What's Eating Gilbert know. Grape. He was. He I was, mean, that should have that should have been on this list. What's Eating Gilbert Grape is a fan fantastic movie. movie. Yeah, very fantastic. good use of your Johnny Depp. Very good use of your Leonardo. Let's DiCaprio. be honest. You cast Johnny Depp in anything, and it's I know you Johnny love Depp. Johnny you know what I mean? <laughs> you adore Johnny Depp. Um, who, who who doesn't? Johnny Depp's the best. I don't oh. adore Johnny Depp. <laughs> I, I disagree. I know you do. <laughs> I just disagree. Um, anyway. I, I think he's... Okay, I I think Edward Scissorhands is a great movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, would we like to... Let's, let's talk about some, some Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, let's do it. Shall we? <laughs> let's do what we came here to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, do you want to go ahead and give us a little little bit about... Uh, the play? The summary? Yeah, totally. So, this is taken from Shakespeare.org because um, I figure, go straight to the source. Yeah, exactly. If you can't um, go to Shakespeare himself. Go straight to the source. So, an age-old vendetta between two powerful families erupts into bloodshed. A group of masked Montagues risk further conflict by crashing a Capulet party. A, a young, lovesick Romeo Montague falls instantly in love with Juliet Capulet, who is due to marry her father's choice, the County Paris. With the help of Juliet's nurse, the women arrange for the couple to marry the next day, but Romeo's attempt to halt a street fight leads to the death of Juliet's own cousin, Tybalt, for whom Romeo is or for which Romeo is banished. In a desperate attempt to be reunited with Romeo, Juliet follows the Friar Lawrence's plot and fakes her own death. The message fails to reach Romeo, and believing Juliet dead, he takes his life in her tomb. Juliet wakes to find Romeo's corpse beside her and kills herself. The grieving family agree to end their feud. You know what, Katie, this reminds me of the plot of um, West Side Story. <laughs> no way! Does it really? Yeah. You know, I am seeing a lot of similarities Yeah. Just like, you know, star-crossed lovers, cousin dies. You know, you know? cousin dies... Yeah. I guess it's her brother in West Side Story, but I don't know. Just the the similarities are eerie. It it, it almost it it's almost. I mean, this sounds crazy. Hear me out. Okay, but it's it it almost seems like West Side Story took took Romeo and Juliet uh-huh. and just changed it, and then added music. You know what? It it also reminds me of the plot of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know what? And weirdly enough, the names sound exactly the same. So it's wild how that happens. It's like, crazy. I can't believe copyright thinking. didn't exist back when Shakespeare existed. <laughs> this is this is the 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 epitome of like what every love story has ever like picked off of. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um and I including must, Titanic. Including Titanic. And I must say that um if you overlook like everybody will find a reason to shoot this play down mm-hmm. and everybody's gonna find a reason to, to like because it's like pretty ridiculous you know like if you're looking at it from that standpoint if you're looking at it from the standpoint of like they've known each other for three days and they both kill each other like they kill themselves over you know their love when they've like barely met you know yeah if you're looking at it from that light, like you're not going to find any good things to take away from. Oh yeah, it, you know, if you try but to, like, like cinema sins it. Like it's not going to be enjoyable, but it's about the drama. Yes, it's the drama it's of the it all. Emotions and, and I also think, yeah. the language, baby. Yeah. Like the language is so romantic. It's so rich. It's, it's really so good. so rich that like if you're if you're looking at it from that way, you're gonna take so much more from it than like what you get from the surface of the plot 
Yeah. You know? There's actually, this is a, a great piece of trivia if you really like historical theater. So back when they were doing this in the Victorian age, there was this woman named Charlotte Cushman who was, like, famous for doing pants rolls. And she became famous for portraying Romeo, and her sister would often play Juliet. So if you see, like, an old Victorian picture of Romeo, it's probably Charlotte Cushman. There's a really great um, podcast about it by Shakespeare Unlimited called When Romeo Was a Woman. Okay, Shakespeare Unlimited, like, sidebar, Shakespeare Unlimited is, like, one of my favorite podcasts. It's so good. So good. When I so went good. to go do my Romeo and Juliet contract, I literally downloaded every single episode they had on Romeo and Juliet for my drive from Baltimore to um, Ohio. And I came in like with all of this random Romeo and Juliet trivia. But they, they have really great stuff. I highly recommend checking it they, out. They, it's, it's a great podcast, especially if you're interested in learning about Shakespeare. If you don't know anything about Shakespeare, you don't know how to dissect his language. You don't really know like how to read his plays but like you want to know more it's a great podcast for that yeah i highly recommend um well i'll do a little a little tiny um sort of bio about shakesy p the good bard himself um we did do like a 20 minute mini sewed on on shakespeare um in our first season between episodes four and five so if you're looking for like a more in-depth version definitely go back and take a listen um but here's a basic bio that i found uh from myenglishpages.com thank you my english pages (laughs) thank you so much uh and here it is william shakespeare was an english poet playwright and actor he was born on 26th of april in 1564 in stratford upon avon his father was a successful local businessman and his mother was the daughter of a landowner. Shakespeare is widely regarded as one of the greatest writers in the English language and the world's um, preeminent dramatist. He is often called England's national poet and nicknamed the Bard of Avon. He wrote about 38 plays, 154 sonnets, and two long narrative poems, and a few other verses, of which the authorship of some is uncertain. His plays have been translated into every major living language and have been performed more often than those of any other playwright. Shakespeare married Anne Hathaway, not the one you think, at the age of 18. She was eight years older than him, and they had three children, Susanna and twins, Hammett and Judith. After his marriage, um, information about his life became very rare, Uh, but he is thought to have spent most of that time in London writing and performing in his plays. Between 1585 and 1592, he began a successful career in London as an actor, writer, and part owner of a playing company called the Lord Chamberlain's Men, known as the King's Men. Around 1613, at the age of 49, he retired to Stratford, where he died three years later. Few records of Shakespeare's private life survive, but he died on April 23rd of 1616 at the age of 52. He died within a month of signing his will, a document which begins by describing himself as being in perfect health, quote-unquote. In his will, Shakespeare left the bulk of his large estate to his eldest daughter, Susanna. Shakespeare produced most of his known works between 1589 and 1613, and his early plays were mainly comedies and histories, With these works, but these works remain uh, regarded as some of the best works produced in these genres. He's written mainly tragedies until about 1608, including Hamlet, Othello, King Lear, and Macbeth, considered some of the finest works in the English language. In his last phase, he wrote tragic comedies, also known as romantis, romantics, right? Romances. romances. 
I don't know why I said that, and collaborated <laughs> with other playwrights. Shakespeare's plays remain highly popular today and are constantly studied, performed, and reinterpreted in diverse, diverse culture and political contexts throughout the world. I will also say um, uh, one of the best pieces of theater that I have seen in my whole life, but in particular in New York City, was Drunk Shakespeare. If you haven't seen Drunk Shakespeare or don't know what it is, it's essentially a group of actors who pick one actor to be the quote-unquote drunk actor that night, (laughs) and they um, will take shots upon shots upon shots of alcohol and then attempt to perform a leading player in one of Shakespeare's (laughs) plays um, while completely obliterated surrounded by people who like are completely sober and know exactly what's going on. It was absolutely freaking hilarious. It was so funny. And I feel like it, they did a great job of like sort of interpreting his works and like finding a way to make them more contemporary in a way that a lot of people who don't watch Shakespeare know how to understand. It was really, really good. I saw it when they did, um, uh, when they did the Scottish play and it was amazing. Um, and I would, all I could think about when I was reading this was what it would be like to watch them do Romeo and Juliet. Mm. It would have been so funny. So definitely, uh, take a look at that. If you don't know anything about them, check it um, check it out. Cause they are awesome. So, um, that's a little bit about, uh, Shakespeare P the bard. um, and uh, yeah, so I guess with that, we'll we'll sort of take a break and hear from our sponsors. Bye. Looking for the perfect gift for a friend or loved one? Or just looking to add a little more self-care into your life? Look no further than Sunshine Soaps and Sustainable Products on Etsy. With these handcrafted, cruelty-free soaps made with sustainable ingredients, minimal dyes, and natural fragrances, your skin is sure to say thank you. There are some sweet soaps available just in time for that special someone, including the limited edition strawberries and cream and rose vanilla soap. Not to mention, each soap is made from a small batch to ensure freshness when purchasing. And they are offering our listeners an exclusive deal. You can get free shipping on your next order of two or more soaps with promo code PLAYDATE. That's P-L-A-Y-D-A-T-E. Add a little sunshine into your life with Sunshine Soap Sustain on Etsy. And we are back with a critical breakdown. (laughs) Um, I I love this trumpet (laughs) thing that you're... (laughs) I don't know what is happening. You're just so excited for season two that you're like, yes! I'm I'm so freaking excited. I missed you guys. Yeah. I missed this and I missed um, talking about plays. And I know between season one and season two, my life has changed a lot. And I I know Julia's has as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like really nice to be back to something so concrete and wonderful and amazing. Yeah. It's like our, it's like our, our Starbucks coffee dates all over again. It really is. It's amazing. And actually Um, Katie and I will be going on 
a play date around the yeah. city coming up very soon. So go check us out on Instagram if you want to see the shenanigans. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to do so many bits. It's I can't wait. Great. We got to do just like Billy Eichner on the street where we run <laughs> up to people with microphone and we're like, have you heard of play date? Have you heard of play date? <laughs> no, you haven't? Bye. Yeah. I literally said to Katie, I'm like, okay, if we're going out, we need to get cupcakes from Magnolia Bakery. And Magnolia. <laughs> Yeah, from Magnolia Bakery. Oh, it's going to be great. They're so good. They're They're so so good. good. All right. So let's hop right in. Yeah. yeah. I wrote down some tips just about for some people who don't really know how to dissect Shakespeare. Um, I don't know, you know, they're like really, really basic, but just some things that like if we're ever talking about it, um, you can understand sort of why that is. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I'm sure you you can sort of figure out from these notes, Julia, what what I was talking about here. Maybe we can split them up in half. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. So do you want to touch base on what iambic pentameter is? I would love to. I love talking about iambic pentameter. So iambic pentameter is basically a meter that poets can use. Um, it's sometimes called like the heartbeat meter because it goes like... Da 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 da. It's like, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It mimics the sound of a heartbeat. It makes the sound of a heartbeat. And a lot of times, this is a, a fun fact, and you will see it in Romeo and Juliet. When when Shakespeare wants to set up that two characters are super compatible, they will finish each other's iambic pentameter mm-hmm. and sometimes create a whole sonnet. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Um, yeah, and um, do you want to talk a little bit about. Um, like the vocal inflection of people and how speaking in different, you know, sort of inflections can can help you understand a little bit more of what's going on. Yeah. So I, I think the like common misconception is when you're doing Shakespeare, you have to do a British accent. That's not true. <laughs> if you're British, of course you can. <laughs> I just can't. But I can't believe that that's a misconception. It is. So it is funny. a total misconception. I know it is. And it's hilarious. I just don't. I don't know where that that comes from. Because it's like, y'all, I'm so American. If I go in and I'm like, but soft, but light through yonder window breaks, people are going to be like, who is this chick? But yeah, um, they're going to be like, why are you doing that? Yeah, It works in any language. One thing that will happen, though, is sometimes because of the way the iambic pentameter works you know you might have to take a word like banished and instead of saying banished you add the little ed at the end banished. right because it adds a, it adds another syllable to complete the the iambic pentameter you know yeah. and i mean the other thing is too you have to be loud in a healthy way because a lot of times you know if you're doing shakespeare you're probably not using a microphone in right. any conceivable way and it's a lot of time it's done outdoors mm-hmm. um traditionally so if you take like a speech and language class, you'll learn how to like project your voice without doing any strain to your vocal cords because you don't want to yell, but you right. do want to be heard. So a lot of times, you know, you're really expressive with the text because it is poetry. Right. Um, and unlike most plays nowadays, you're having you're talking to your audience, the majority mm-hmm. of the show. Um and you'll have little aside moments to your audience. So, like, the audience is very much in on the story and in on the joke. And when a character is, you know, having their soliloquy moment, that's a conversation that they're having with the audience. 
um, usually a series of rhetorical questions. And mm-hmm. I see in here you talk about opposites. Yes. Um, and so there's kind of like opposites and then the rule of threes where mm-hmm. Shakespeare loves to make lists. Yes. So and all of these lists will like become more intense as they go along to kind of like build the speech. Right. So or he'll use alliteration to intensify the yes, you know, the lists. Yeah, and these lists will just become more and more intense. And it usually, like, like we talked about, it's heightened language for heightened drama. So yeah. when you're doing Romeo and Juliet, you feel those stakes, even though like you've just met this person, you you've done X Y Z, like. When you're doing it in the moment, it is a very intense process and can get you to those emotional depths just because the the vocal inflection and the building and the work with opposites, all right. of that stuff ties in to make the words and phrases more intense and make and those also, speeches more intense. Also, I'll add that, you know, I think another huge misconception is that people think that people who do Shakespeare have an easier time dissecting his language. Oh, no. And I'd, I'd argue that that's definitely incorrect and that the the intensity of doing it is also just as helpful for the actor to remember what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And remember what that line means and remember why you're saying it and where it comes from and and the order, since, you know, the order of prepositions sometimes gets switched around in his language, mm-hmm. like... It's it's as much for the poetry as it is for the person who's saying it too. Yeah, most you know? of the time, if you're doing Shakespeare in a in a professional sense, you will have time to do some book work on it beforehand. Yeah. Um, whether that means you're actually sitting down with your director and talking through the text, or you know you come in with the text known and then you dig deeper into the text as you rehearse. Right. But um, you know, it's it's a very like. Once you understand what you're saying, it really it, it is a bit like translation in a way. Yeah. Because you're taking something and you are kind of adapting what it means and going into the specific. Because words didn't always mean the same thing right. that they do right. now. It may be the English language, but the meanings of word. Oh, a changed. really good example. A good example in this play in particular is the word saucy. Mm-hmm. The word saucy is used, I think, two or three times in this play, and it means something completely different from what you probably think it means in contemporary language. Yeah. I took an, etymo- an etymology class in college, and one thing we talked about ha- was that thou and you are two different meanings of, like, addressing someone. Right, right. Um, because one is basically a familiar way of addressing them, and the other one is, you know, yeah, saying... It's like, it's, like a, a, it's like two and usted in I was going to say, it's yeah. like... It's like it's like two and two in, in, in Spanish, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we kind of touched a little bit about opposites, but to sort of put that into like a, an easier light for some people to understand, like opposites are essentially like, you know, you can focus on your, your, it, it sort of ties hand in hand with vocal inflection. Like, um, your inflection on certain words, you can use it to your advantage to, um, highlight the opposites in the sentence that you're speaking or the line of verse or whatever it might be. Um, so like a good example would be like, um, you know, how can I love him when the rest of the world hates him or something like that? Mm-hmm. Love and hate are your opposites there. So you can emphasize the word love and emphasize the word hate so that the people listening can understand your opinion on it. It's 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 a great way to get some 
emotion expressed across. Um, so that's also something that especially Shakespearean actors look look out for so that they can emphasize that and it helps the audience understand. And all these things that we're talking about are are there to help you know, the audience get it because we clearly don't speak in old English anymore, you know? Um, and, and a lot the of the la- people seeing Shakespeare show shows in the day did not speak that type of heightened language. Right, exactly. It was already heightened for the language in the day, mm-hmm. you know, let alone for us now. And, and the last sort of thing is just physicality. Like, physicality is a huge way. It always, it is with everything, but, you know, especially in something where it feels like they're speaking a foreign language, their physicality and their vocal inflection are going to be, like, your two biggest key takeaways to, like, learn. Yeah. Especially in the comedies. Especially in the comedies, exactly. Yeah, so anyway, just some background information for you. So um, Definitely check out the book Thinking Shakespeare if you oh, want to know book. more about yep. how to analyze text because it is a really, really solid breakdown. Yeah, also I will say, like, you know, English teachers can shun me, but Sparknotes does a really great analysis <laughs> of some Shakespearean All uh, of the, the English teachers are like, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> I know, but it's true. Like, they do a really good job of breaking it down without letting any details really slide. Um, yeah, you know, it's not the same, but like, if you're looking for like a really good detailed summary, I would actually recommend spark notes. Yeah. My, I will say for high school students, my hot tip is if you're assigned Shakespeare and you're not watching it in class, go watch find it a on your own of it and watch it on your own. Absolutely. It is meant it's, to be seen and it's, it's going to be, it's going to make so it's going to be so easy for you to understand what's going on. If you're also watching it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder to And they will make cuts, so make sure you go and read the whole they text. They sure <laughs> will. <laughs> they sure will. Um, yeah, so before we kind of dive into some of our, like, personal analyses, I just had a couple questions for you, Julia. Okay, hit me with them. Oh, My first is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. My first is just, like, just for funsies. What's your favorite filmed adaptation? Is it the Leonardo DiCaprio one? Um... That one has grown on me in recent years, but I think my favorite will always be the Zeffirelli one just because it's Ugh, it's so yeah. beautiful and both Olivia Hussey and I forget his name who plays Romeo, but he looks like Zac Efron and they're, they're yes, just so sweet and they have so much chemistry. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, A Time for Us is a really good song. <laughs> it sure is. It's a great song. It's a really good song. I do love Bass Lerman's version of it, but I, I love like Olivia Hussey as, as Juliet. I think it's really good. I I'm haven't not, yeah, seen I'm the not, Haley Steinfeld one, so I don't know what that one's like. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen I've seen that one, but I believe you. It's a good one. From it's somebody really sweet. from somebody who's um who's played that role before, I I trust your analysis of it. I, I just really um, like it. I watched it in in um my English class when I was in ninth grade and I was the only person who cried at the end. <laughs> <laughs> The I watched the Leonardo DiCaprio up. one in my class. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> oh, God. But I like the Zeffirelli one, and they don't make as many cuts to, to some of the larger scenes. They do they mm. do make cuts, but not as many as the Baz Luhrmann one. Um, my, second, my second question for you is, you know, obviously our, our listeners don't know this quite as well as I do, just based on our history, but I know, I know how important and influential being in Romeo and Juliet was for you as a person was for you as an actor. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you did that, like I remember seeing you on campus after that. And, um, I, like you were like glowing, like, Aww. so, so just over the moon with excitement about the production and what it did for you and how it advanced you as a 
you know, an actor and now as a playwright, um, you know, some sort of, I just sort of was curious about how like being in a production of it in such, in being literally a titular, a titular role in the show, how that, you know, changed your either, you know, understanding of Shakespeare or how, if it influenced you at all into the actor slash playwright you are today, or, you know, just sort of your general thoughts and feelings about it. Um, I think like, the coolest part about Shakespeare is like once you once you are in a show of his like you just get to know the text on a really deep level and you start to like draw subtext almost like headcanon about the characters like I became so fascinated with Lady Capulet after doing that show just because like all of Great the role. all of the text is so fascinating revolving her um, and Juliet is just like she gets snubbed so often and she's a really cool character like she's very headstrong she's very logical um whereas romeo's like let me read you my poetry can i play you my song and she's like all right so when are we getting married what time who's gonna be there tell me everything give me the details yeah and she's just she's just really smart and she's she's really fun to play for that reason um and i think the other fun part of it is just like i because of all that headcan and all of the just like getting to know the characters, I will say my director for that show was just like above and beyond. She was incredible, um, and she just genuinely loved Shakespeare and all of all of his text. Um, and one thing that she did was all of that book work at the beginning, and then also like she would just have these conversations with us about what we think based on the text, and you know she would bring in trivia, and it, it was just a really like genuinely lovely experience working with her and seeing how much she loved what we were working on that's Um, always like the best thing in the world is when the person who's you know quote-unquote in charge the you know spokesperson um the head honcho is just as excited about about the production as you are and about what you're doing in the text and the story and the cast and the show yeah it's important it's really important it sets like it sets it sets uh the the morale really high you know yeah and i mean it's the reason why i like have decided to kind of write my own song cycle about about Juliet just because I think she's a fascinating character and I think one thing that my director brought up which I love and I think it kind of changed the the way I framed my mind around the show is that she was like you know yes it's about horny teenagers but I like to think of these two as like the young revolutionaries like they have grown up in a broken system and they are using love rather than hate to mm. make the world a better place. Like, literally everyone who dies in Romeo and Juliet dies out of love instead of hate. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, and I also feel like the... Um, I talk about it a little bit later in our in our kind of dive into it. But mm. um, the more that I read it, like, and the older that I get, the more I understand, like, the helplessness of love. You know, yeah. like... I feel like growing up and it changes every day and every day I feel like I'm getting more and more attuned to it, but I feel so, I like, I totally get that feeling of like being willing and wanting to give up anything and everything for, for the person that you love. Yeah. And people give them, 
people give Romeo and Juliet like shit because they've only known each other for such a short period of time. But like, I also am a firm believer of like, when you know, you know. Yeah. You know, and like that's the I, thing, like the text supports it in that. It like, does. When it absolutely she meets does. Paris, it's like, you know, she's like, I'm not interested. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> like the, pretty much from the get go. The one thing that I will say about Baz Luhrmann's version, which is so great, is that he casts like the perfect man to play Paris because mm. Paul Rudd is so unassuming. He's so kind. Yeah. It's really you, wait hard till not you to see like who him. I cast in that role. Oh, I'm so excited. I wonder if we cast the same person. <laughs> we might have. You can't look ahead to the casting because we're I sharing won't. notes right now. So don't you dare look at it. I won't look. I kept mine on a separate device to keep it a surprise. Yeah. But, um, I like, I genuinely think that's such a smart choice because Paris is not a bad guy. No, He's no, a not at all. Lovely, respectful man. And I think, this he is, wants to love her. You yeah. Know? But I think there's a difference between like settling for someone and then having that spark of, yeah, wow, you absolutely. get me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've always said to you, like, I, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm such a difficult person to, to date because <laughs> I feel like I know it right away. Oh I'm yeah. Like, I, I like date number one. I'm like, I, I either know it or I don't. And, and I'm like not willing to try if I don't feel it right away. And that's, yeah. see, I totally, I'm, I'm working on it, but like surprise because I completely thought the same thing. And based yeah. on my current relationship, I know. it's not accurate. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm working on it, but like, I, I feel like there is such a, like when you, when you find the right person, there's a spark and there's a connection. Like there's a reason you keep being drawn to that person. Oh yeah. You yeah. Know? When and you click, when you click, you click, right? Like, click and and that and and yeah. they click. Like Romeo and Juliet click, and and I feel like they don't. You know, it's it's a miscommunication that things happened the way that they did. You know, like yeah. it's it's. Yeah, and it's that's just, the thing; it doesn't place the blame on them. I think that's what I love so much about it is it doesn't blame them for being young and having feelings. It blames the people around them yeah. for creating a toxic toxic environment. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there's no way for them to make it out of that. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so their their sacrifice, in essence, becomes like the catalyst for change, which I yeah. Like, it's oh, I love sad that. and it's tragic, but it's also kind of the way things happen. Like it's. It's that, that, like, lifelong saying that, like, of course, you have to wait until something bad happens for good to come along. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it's like that with, I feel like, with so many things. Like, something bad had to have happened for something good to happen. You know, like, why is it that we have speed limits when we drive cars? Yeah. I don't want to say it out loud, but I think we all know the answer, you know? And, like, yeah. that didn't happen why without tragedy. Why is there the too hot thing on your coffee cup? Right, um, right. It's like of that a didn't <laughs> it didn't it didn't happen without tragedy, right? Yeah. Like it's it it's and this is just I think it's just hard for people to see because we have such uh rough, you know, like stigmas attached to things yeah. these days, you know. And I will I will say Along this line, people shouldn't needlessly be dying because of a corrupt no. system. No, we're no. living through that hellscape right now, and people yeah. are needlessly dying, and it's really awful. Yeah. Um, and it it there need there needs to be some catalyst for change, and it's really hard because the people who are trying are doing their best, and they're not getting any support from the higher ups, which is very frustrating. And that's always that's always how it works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, let's sort of take an even deeper dive here into the, yeah, you know, some of the main things that happen. In For this our play. regular listeners, we're we're changing our setup ever so slightly um, to kind of go plot beat by plot beat, almost scene by scene. 
Um, just so if you're unfamiliar with the play, you're still on the same page as us. As yeah. always, spoilers for this play that's of been course. around since the 1500s. Of course. <laughs> if you don't know what happens at the end, stop now <laughs> and go Because they give it away read. in the first monologue. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, the show starts with the uh, prince's introduction. Would you like to take it away, Julia? Yeah, totally. So basically he just says, all right, these are two households, both alike in dignity, um, in Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. And then he basically goes, so these two, you know, have been feuding forever, and their kids are going to die because of it. Um, and I love I love the phrase, the fatal loins. Like, there's mm. something just so, like, oh. That's one thing that I love about the Baz Luhrmann version is that it starts as a news report. I think that is genius. Like in, yeah. t- in terms of like modern adaptation, like it just it works so well as like yeah. a TV report. I love oh. it. And, you know, I, I had this great this um this this quote that I pulled from it that I was like, man, if somebody said this to me, I would I would literally sob. Um, or it said on pain of torture from those bloody hands, throw your mistempered weapons on the ground and hear the sentence of your moved prince. If somebody like turned to me and said like stop what you're doing and listen to how this affected me yeah i'd be like oh <laughs> oh god I, I could feel my heart getting ripped out of my chest you know yeah i honestly like i think having a really well cast prince kind of sets you up for success with this show you know oh, i say it in in our next like plot point but i'm gonna say it again there are some things that like if it's set up well at the beginning, everything is justified. Everything. Yeah. The prince is definitely one of those things. Um, and and a big thing for me is stage combat in this play, man. There's so much combat in this if play. If the combat is yeah. set up just as intensely at the beginning as it is when Tybalt and Romeo are in battle. Yeah. It's justified. Those fights, but are if so they cool. take yeah. if they take the fight at the very beginning and they turn it into like a quasi comedy, where it's like the two houses are fighting and ah, this always happens. Yeah. Ah, you know, like then it makes it a lot less like easy to get behind the killing that comes later and like the eventual deaths of Romeo and Juliet at the end. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah. I feel like if it's set up well at the beginning, like there's no way that anybody can turn and say that it's like unjustified. Yeah. You know, I do like the juxtaposition. We're getting into the quarrel now. So there's a quarrel between members of the house Montague and Capulet. This is the famous, like I do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Yeah. That right. whole bit. And I think what's really cool about this scene is the juxtaposition between juxtaposition. I can't make words today. Um, juxtaposition either. between the comedy of the, of the wittiness between these characters that are like, should I, you know, should I say that I'm biting my thumb at him? And like, like it's a very funny scene. And then it gets bloody mm-hmm. and so violent. Like, it goes from zero to 100 so fast. Right, right. And I think, like you're saying, like, it raises the stakes of, like, this isn't just some, like, people saying boo-hoo for you across the right. street at each other. It's a it's a vicious cycle. Right, well, like, it feels, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of talk about it later on because it goes with my, like, vision of how I want to see the play done. But, like, mm-hmm. it feels very, like, political party versus political party oh, yeah. as opposed to like like literal warfare that's happening you know if, yeah. if it's done incorrectly it can feel very like 
ooh, well, I disagree with you, and I disagree with you, as opposed to, like, we are in war, and, like, people are going to die because of it. Yeah. You know? And if it's set up in that second light, you know, like, the latter of the two, it it makes everything, the stakes are so high that, like, you can understand why Romeo and Juliet make the actions that they do, even if you put their love aside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everything feels so much more justified, and that doesn't mean you you don't have to have the comedy. It just, there needs to be a beat shift, and it needs to be clear, defined, concise, and accurate, you know? I feel like the best way that I've heard this show described is the first half is a romantic comedy. Yeah. It's like a romantic comedy interspersed with violence. Kind of like Warm Bodies, which is also a Romeo and Juliet like adaptation. Right. <laughs> it's actually a really good movie. I genuinely enjoyed Warm Bodies. But um, <laughs> Warm Bodies. It's, hey, it's really Johnny good. Depp, baby. He's not in that. Oh, wrong one. I'm thinking of Dark Shadows. But Warm <laughs> Bodies is also a good movie, baby. It's, it's both a... A Romeo and Juliet story and a Twilight ripoff, and for that yeah, reason, Twilight. I love That's, it. They're they're like at the airport, right? He's like, he, uh, there's like some part in the movie where he's like either at an abandoned airport or something like that, and all yeah. the zombies are coming up on him. His name is R. Her name is Julie. The CGI isn't great, but we'll take it. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's it's a really like I genuinely enjoy it. If you like monster movies, you'll enjoy. Yeah. It. <laughs> um. But yeah. So so basically, um sort of right after that lady montague asks benvolio like where romeo is and benvolio just says that he's been like really sad and um, sad boy you know, hour. <laughs> yeah he's been like super sad and they don't really know why so benvolio goes to check up on him yeah um, i will just say i love benvolio he's one of my favorite yeah characters i i love especially like in our production he was kind of played a little bit like a frat boy and it was yes. really cool because his first entrance was like good morrow cousin right right <laughs> like i just love when the bros are being bros in this show also, this show, one of the things that, on a personal level, this show makes me very sad about is that all my cousins are so much older than me, oh, and I yeah. wish I wish that I had cousins that were, like, closer to my age, because I've, I've been told that, like, the bond between cousins who are close in age is, like, unbreakable. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a second cousins. family. Shout out and to I my love, cousins. Yeah, yo, shout out to my cousins, too, but my cousins all have, like, their own families, mm-hmm. and their second cousins are my age, so. Yeah. We've got, like, three <laughs> generations. We have, like, the middle group, which is my generation, then we have the older ones who are, like, married and having babies, and then we have right. the ones that are still kind of babies. Okay, sure, like baby babies. <laughs> so we've got, we've got, like, three waves, but yeah, yeah, it's... I I do love having a close relationship. Honestly, like, it kind of does remind me of my cousins, like, this kind of banter. Because that's what Mm. I love about the Romeo, Benvolio, Mercutio scenes is they always have this, like, friendly banter. Yeah, they do. And I I genuinely love it. It's like this familial banter, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I pretty much just said here that there's a line where they said, Benvolio said, what what sadness lengthens Romeo's hours? Mm -hmm. And I just, like, oh, there is nothing. I mean... When you're, like, going through it and you're, like, in a not great place mentally where you're, like, really just sad and going through it, like, the days are so long. Yeah. It's, like, the days are so long and you have no motivation to do anything. It's just exhausting. It's just exhausting. Just, like, just being awake (laughs) is so exhausting. You know, that I've never – that's, like, again, one of those things that I – when I was reading it, I was, like, I never – I didn't get that when I was like reading it when I was younger, you know, and like, it's just something that you miss and you gloss over. But like, that's an example in my head of like how, if you were really focusing on Shakespeare's language 
everything in this show is justified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's I think just too, this, this scene shows one of my favorite things that is just fun to read in Shakespeare. Um, there's one part where he goes, you know, like cast thine eye on other beauties. And he's literally saying like, there's other fish in the sea, bro. Yes, exactly. Like stuff like that ages so contemporarily. Like these are, you know, ideas that were around back then. Like literally he's like, oh, you're sad about this girl. Check out other girls. Like- right. And, and what I said that I love about it is what I loved about that scene is that you can just tell that they're family because like he's never heard really anything about you know, Rosalind, like he has no idea who Romeo is even talking about in this scene. Yeah. And he's just pretty much like, ah, forget about her, bro. Like she's not worth, she doesn't deserve you. (laughs) You know, like, like they've like, they're sad boy hour. (laughs) Right. Like they're literally like, they've had like a thousand wine, wine and cheese nights, like talking about this girl before. And they haven't, you know, they're just like family and they just like, no. Um, and I think that's like a, uh, like really cool little moment in it. And that's another thing. This play ages really well. Like there are a lot of things in it that still exist. Today. Oh yeah. Big time. I mean, like hugely we'll get to it, but Juliet's whole speech about having sex for the first time is one of like genuinely the funniest yeah. thing I've ever read. Yeah. Um, but also like very real. Like it's very, these, these characters are so human. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah. you know, Juliet, she ends up talking to her mom and her nurse about, um, her mother, like her mother and the nurse pretty much just have this conversation, like open up the the door to um, talking about how Julia is like old enough to start to think about getting married and like she needs yeah, to get married. It's basically. an honor that I dream not of. <laughs> it, yeah. But what's yeah. so funny is that that part of it, like <laughs> her mom literally is like, how do you feel about getting married? Like, what's your deposition about getting married? And she's like, I don't really want to. <laughs> and her mom is like, oh, she's like, I genuinely sucks. have not thought about it. <laughs> yeah. And her mom's like, that sucks. You have to. So yeah. <laughs> like start thinking about it. Yeah. But I, I wrote this down like, man, it is amazing how that like the like when I was your age thinking like cycle of thinking has existed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it still exists and we still use it. Nowadays, I feel like we use it a little bit more as an excuse as opposed to like anything else. But it's amazing how even back in like the fort, like the 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 14th century, Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, when I was your age, like blah 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 blah, because that's essentially what Juliet's mom says is like, well, when I was your age, like women were I getting, was getting married. married. Yeah, I was getting married. Women were getting married. So yeah. like, I had what's you the problem? when I was younger than you. Yeah, right, right. So like, what's the problem? And it's amazing how like that's always existed. Yeah, and I, 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 and I like am so pissed that I'm gonna be like that one day. <laughs> um, but like, I I, what's it's like human too. nature. You it know? is human nature. It fully is. And I think like that's what's interesting about the the because as well as in the text, but also in the character, Shakespeare loves his opposites. So like your your lady cap is a foil to your nurse because the oh, nurse yes. is like the nurturing figure in Juliet's life. She basically raised her. She's the one who weaned her. Like for those right. who don't know back like way back if you were a wealthy family and you had a baby you would find what was called a wet nurse who would nurse your baby for you because you were too rich to nurse your baby so they and it's implied that like the the nurse had a child that died and because of that she was able to nurse Juliet and so she really is this like surrogate mother and it's implied in the text in that scene too that like her husband was as much involved in Juliet's childhood as she was right yeah 
Yeah, so, I mean, that basically brings us um, to to this next scene where Mercutio and Benvolio are teasing Romeo about his crush on Rosalind. And essentially, the Capulets are having this party, and they're like, well, as long as you're a Capulet, come on down. And, um, <laughs> and of course, they're telling this to uh, Romeo, who is not, and... Um, and he's like, they, they essentially, you know, his cousin and his friend are like, come on, let's go. Yeah. This is ah. where we get the iconic Queen Mab speech. It's yeah. so good. But, you know, my main question is like, do male identifying people talk about love as much as these people do? Because the whole beginning part of this scene is them being like, well, if I was in love and, and like love this and love that and I'm love struck and blah, 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 blah. And obviously, like, love has a different connotation, I, th- I feel like, then than it did now. But yeah. like, I think, I think the I think the conversation still happened, but they they shift because I think people definitely do give their friends shit about like, OK, so you have a crush on Jen. Like, tell me about it. Yeah, you know? right. Because I think like, obviously, generally, um, male identifying people in our culture are told not to talk about their feelings or, mm-hmm. you know, they're told it's a bad thing. But if you're like teasing a friend about it, then it's like, OK. Right. You know? Right. But um, what what I think feels real about this is like Juliet's or Romeo is like, oh, I'm so bummed, and Mercutio is like, oh, you know why? Because the the fairy comes to you in your dreams and makes you horny. <laughs> like that's basically what that whole speech is, and it's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think like I think exactly. that's what makes Mercutio such an interesting friend to Romeo. Is he's just as poetic as Romeo is, but he does it with like a bite to it. Like Romeo is poetic yeah. and harmless. But Mercutio is poetic and spicy. Except he's a murderer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And depending on no, how you is. play yeah, it, absolutely. we'll get to it later, but, like, depending on how you play it, when he first encounters the nurse, he does, like, sexually harass her a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Like, he does. sometimes they play it as a joke, but sometimes, like, in my production, it was played, like, straight. Right, like, very serious. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, yeah. it's an interesting character because he's not all good. He's like chaotic no. neutral. Yeah, yeah, he is. I yeah, yeah, no, he is. He's um. I feel like that character is so interesting because he's he's like a the he's like the friend of your family who you call your cousin but isn't your cousin. Yeah. You know? He's, yeah. He's, like he's also that. the bridge between the two families because he's the one who gets invited to the party. Exactly. And then brings along Romeo and Benvolio. Exactly. And that pretty much brings us right into the party itself where, you know, Juliet and Paris, the guy that she's supposed to be set up with, they dance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boys arrive and Romeo pretty much is like, oh, damn. <laughs> he literally, like, he, he sees her and he's like, ooh. Hello, mama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I love this scene. I'll tell you, I'm such a sucker for this scene. Um, mm. It's fun because there's a dance. So when you're in it, you get to do a little dance, which is yeah. fun. Um, and then, like we talked about before, when Shakespeare ships two characters, they will speak in, in verse. They'll finish each other's sentences literally. Uh-huh. And in this case, the two of them, their first interaction is literally making a sonnet together, which yeah, we had is. to memorize for our Shakespeare class. Yes, we did. <laughs> We sure did. We did. Yeah, I copied I copied a monologue here because I just want to drive this point home that like this play can be whatever you want it to be. You don't have to like follow the same like stereotypes that the world the contemporary world has put into it where like 
it's just this love story where they killed themselves at the end and you don't really, you know, you can't like understand why. Because when you listen to this text, I literally don't know how it doesn't make you swoon. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the the verse that I copied here said, Oh, she doth teach the torches to burn bright. It seems she hangs upon the cheek of night, like a rich jewel in Ethiop's ear, beauty too rich for use, for earth too dear. So shows a snowy dove trooping with crows as yonder lady or her fellow shows the measure done i'll watch her um i'll watch her place of stand and touching hers make blessed my rule my rude hand did my heart love till now forswear it sight for i ne'er saw true beauty till this night i mean like if somebody said like does my heart know how to love? I didn't know how I loved till I saw you for the first time. Swoon. Like, swoon. Fully swoon. You know? Like, yeah. it's if you listen to his language, everything makes sense. Because yeah. of the way that Romeo is written, he's written so romantically. Oh, you know? yeah. He's like, so, like... Ro- he's so charming. He's such an intellectual, like, he yeah. poems. Like, I, I He's definitely, like, your, your coffee shop boyfriend. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know? He's like, hey, like, I'm doing a poetry reading at this coffee shop on Wednesday night want to go that's that's Romeo it's a slam poetry contest (laughs) I love him and that's the thing too like that that's what he has on on Paris at least for Juliet is he completes her sentences he matches her wit and that's why she's like oh okay exactly (laughs) yeah um because they're two intelligent people they're not dumb world they are intelligent people and that's why they like each other and and also and so it, it essentially it brings us to like the balcony scene you know like there's mm-hmm. the boys run off um the boys leave and Romeo ends up leaving and he they make it to the balcony scene yeah yeah i love the balcony scene it's so long and, but i love it so much and the balcony scene is like i think i don't know if if you're if you agree with me on this one julia but i feel like this is the most iconic shakespearean scene in his entire repertoire yeah and the fun fact about it the fun fact it's is just in the original text it never mentions it never a balcony. says they're on a balcony like it's literally just like the first person who did it yeah i i love that i love that so much that a, a set piece can be so iconic yeah. that it you know it is called the balcony scene and there is no mention of a balcony in the text right like none at all not even a little bit and that's another thing that we've we brought up about Shakespeare before, but stage directions don't super duper exist in Shakespeare. Yeah, not really. Um, it's pretty much just like entrances and exits. If he wants you to do something, he'll say it in the text. Yeah. Stage directions for our unknowing listeners or, you know, some people who might be a little bit un- more unfamiliar with it is essentially like, if you're ever looking at a script, you're going to see some things that are italicized. And um, this is usually just a direction, like a physical direction that is given to an actor to tell them to do something. So like, you know, if they say, you know, Romeo takes the pencil out of Juliet's hand, then the playwright really clearly had an, you know, a vision of Romeo taking the pencil out of Juliet's hand and they want you to do it. Um, but a lot of times stage directions are either ignored um, because the director has a different vision or um, they're followed like straight to a T and there's, it's, it's hard to find like a gray area where you either do some or you do none. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Shakespeare, he, 
he basically uses um he doesn't have a lot of a lot of stage directions at all and it's essentially just exits and entrances with the exception of a few things here and there yeah. um because the actors see, would just get like the scenes they were in so they yeah. knew it was time for a, a change when they had a couplet of dialogue like they'd hear the rhyme and they'd be like oh shit my entrance exactly <laughs> exactly but if you see a, a shakespearean stage direction you do it yeah <laughs> because yeah. he doesn't have many you know and it's but also this, implied too like there's later we'll talk about lord cap's speech which is intense right. but he says my fingers itch yeah and that implies that e- either he has just hit someone or intends to right right yeah there's a lot of subtext in his writing yeah you know yeah um but yeah i mean the balcony scene like key key takeaway is like they are horny <laughs> you know but, okay so here's here's my they're in love but they're also team. horny <laughs> so if if like the the ball is them figuring out like oh I like you this is the scene where they fall in love in my yeah. personal opinion because this is I where agree. it's like oh like I'm crazy about you like yeah. this is everything I've ever wanted um, and I also love just like the care like there's so much banter but that's yeah. that's where you kind of like get their two diverging personalities because she has this like very logical look at this she's like oh you love me so you're gonna marry me when what time and right. he's like i could talk about you all night i love you so much i i would swear to the moon and she's like don't swear to the moon you silly goose like that's what i love <laughs> about these two is i know the, the constant banter between the two of them and you know i also was thinking about it too that so much of history involves like arranged marriages Mm -hmm. and involves marrying people that you don't have any connection to as we see through you know prince the character of prince Mm -hmm. um that like another reason everybody gives them like so much crap is they're like well you met at a party for five minutes and you talked and then he he jumped over a wall to come and swoon you from a balcony where you supposedly fall in love, but like you haven't even spent five minutes with the guy, Yeah, you know, but also like think about the way that things were back then. And like, if you had those five minutes at a party to talk to somebody before, you know, being married and having that sort of what was then a burden put on you. Yeah. Like imagine how much you could get to know somebody in those five minutes. Yeah. If normally you're not granted long, those. Like. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. And how was it to perform the iconic? I mean, balcony scene? I love that scene. And there's a version of me doing it somewhere on YouTube. Um, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Cause we did when, so the, the company that I did it for, they got this huge like grant of money during COVID time. So they couldn't do anything virtually. So they did kind of like a zoom reunion of their last like 10 shows. And so we did like a zoom version of that scene. And I literally stood on my back porch and like, set up my little zoom camera. It was fun though. I love that scene. And it's like, there's some really chunky fun monologues for, for Juliet in there. Yeah. Too. It's like one of, I feel like it's one of Juliet's like bigger, scenes yeah oh it's a long scene it goes on for pages and pages and right i mean like she has a lot of interaction with the nurse but um you know kind of really except for that like that's one of her biggest scenes with romeo yeah she does she honestly doesn't have a lot of scenes with romeo no they don't have much together like it is it is very very brief but this one is like the big one that kind of cements i think like if you're not rooting for them at the party, you're rooting for them by this scene. Yeah. And if you're not rooting for them by the end of the scene, then, like, you're not gonna 
Yeah, you're not going to care. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, you're not going to care. Yeah. Because that's the most romantic it gets is yeah. that balcony scene. But also, like, imagine, right, like, another sort of, like, they allude to it a little bit in, like, High School Musical, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, Vanessa Hudgens sitting on her balcony. <laughs> Zach Efron comes. Yeah. Zach Efron new. climbs up that fucking tree and comes over to her and he, and he brings her strawberries and they have a picnic on the, on the balcony. Right. Like super romantic. If somebody came to me and threw rocks at my window. Yeah. And like proclaimed, pro- proclaimed their love for me while I was on a balcony. I, I would fall in love with them. You know, I could be swooned. Yeah, I could be. I could definitely be swooned. It might be. It, some might view it as creepy. I view it as charming. <laughs> um, but essentially, next in the story, Romeo goes and, and talks to um, Friar Lawrence, sort of about his situation. I love how Friar Lawrence, like this man of God, is like, "Oh, you totally did it last night, Romeo." Yeah. <laughs> Benedici Tay, yeah. who wasn't in bed. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love the because that's the beauty of it too is like Friar Lawrence and Romeo have this really lovely relationship because like Lady Montague and, and Lord Montague aren't super present in the show. Like they're no. there, but they they very much leave Romeo to do his own thing. Yeah. And it's a similar thing where like Juliet has her nurse and otherwise her mother is pretty absent. Right. Um, Except for the very few times. Another striking similarity of like. Um, like the mom in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah. The mom um, in that movie like really um, has like Kira Knightley. She's like, you've got to get married. I thought that's the dad. She doesn't have a mom. Her mom's dead. Oh, maybe it's the dad. Whatever. But her her nurse is like her her, like her person. You know, her like, you know, that's like her person that she relays trust in oh yeah absolutely um Um, i love i love the nurse so much and we we talked about this so she she goes to mercutio benvolio and romeo because she's like okay like let's set this up like let's get the secret marriage going right and i do like that romeo is a gentleman after um mercutio is being a dick he's like no 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 like they're being stupid I'm so sorry they treated you this way. Like, he's such a little gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And you know what? Like, what I love about the nurse and the way that the nurse is written is that she's, like, she, like, doesn't stand down to them. Yeah. You know? Like, and and that's just really nice to see in the language of the writing mm-hmm. um, that, you know, she pretty much just has, like, the confidence to be like, uh, no. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to do my own thing. You yeah. know? And she does. The nurse is such a queen. She's such a yeah. queen. Such um, a queen. So they they hatch this plan for the wedding. And then Julia is like sitting and complaining that the nurse is taking forever. She's like, oh, old people. Am I right? (laughs) And then the nurse arrives. And I love I love this bit between the two of them. The nurse just like teasing her with the information. It's so. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, And then finally, she's like, all right, fine. You're getting married tonight. And Julia's like, oh, my God. Yay. Right. Um. And then they get married, and it's super sweet. And one yeah, of my favorite lines comes from this scene. What is it? These violent delights have violent ends, and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss, consume. Oh, Ooh, I like that. It's a cool line. It's so provocative. Yeah, it is. No, It's I mean, also like, in one of the Twilight movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they're literally getting, they're just eloping. 
Yeah. Like it's the just the modern day equivalent of eloping. Yeah. And I, that was the scene that would always make our director cry was the wedding. Aww. She'd get teary. She and her husband, because her husband was our fight director, so the two of them would like sit in the audience. Well, hey, that's crying. another thing, too. Like, this play's never gonna work if Romeo and Julia don't have chemistry. Yeah. Never. Never, never, never. Um, but if you're Romeo and Juliet, have chemistry, you're done for. Yeah. Get ready you're to cry. Get ready to cry. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so basically right after that is when like the 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 big like pivotal moment of the play really happens where um Tybalt, um, who, you know, is sort of fighting the in King of Cats. Yeah. <laughs> in like plainsman terms is fighting for um for Juliet's side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kills Mercu- um, Mercutio. Sorry, I can't pronounce his name like ever. <laughs> who is on Romeo's side. Mm-hmm. And so then subsequently Romeo kills Tybalt. Yeah. And, and you know, Mercutio is essentially, he's like the, the cousin who's not a cousin. And he's like their best friend. Yeah, and, he, and he's the innocent Tybalt, bystander. He's, yeah. And, it, like, and that's, t- yeah, sorry, go and, ahead. No, that's okay. I was going to say Tybalt is, um, is Juliet's cousin yeah so essentially mercutio kills juliet's cousin and then juliet's husband kills her cousin yeah um so then romeo has been banished from verona yeah um and they make that very clear he's been banished banished (laughs) so my favorite bit there's this great episode of the tv show third rock from the sun where they're doing a high school production of romeo and juliet and dick solomon comes in trying to direct it and the poor girl playing Lady Capula is doing the whole, like, Romeo slew Tybalt, Romeo must not live speech, right? Yeah. And he basically is like, he's a, you're an actor, now act! And she's, like, crying, and she's like, Romeo slew Tybalt! And he's like, everyone look at Cheryl, because Cheryl is an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and so every time I hear that speech, I just, I giggle, because it's... <laughs> It's such well, a good scene. See, this is this is the scene for me where I feel like all the combat, everything has to be warranted for this scene. Oh yeah, because because this is this is the start of the, the downfall, tragedy, yeah. right? Like, so if so, this needs to be believable that these people, the only way out that they saw was to literally kill each other. Yeah. Like that is the only way that they could figure out how to like warrant everything that had been going on. You know, so like. That's why I feel like if it's not properly set up, when you get to this point, you're going to be like, I don't really care about Mercutio. I don't really care about Tybalt or what they stand for. Yeah. You know, like you, you need to be behind yeah. them in order to, to make this scene Mercutio. work. You yeah, really have you to do. love him because when he dies, and that's the thing too, I love his last line of like a plague on both your houses because he is yeah. truly like, like, yes, he got involved in the fight, but like he wasn't a but part he's of the side. Yeah. yeah, he's a neutral player. Yeah, and that's and there are a couple of moments in this in this scene where Romeo calls out to Juliet. He's like in between like being like, "Oh, I've fought in battle." And he's like, "Oh, my precious Juliet." You know, yeah, and there's yeah. like uh, there's like this big opposite um as Shakespeare loves to play with. But like again, you're not going to feel their love come through if it's like disingenuine you know yeah like and he it, does feel remorse for killing Tybalt like it course, came out of yeah. like you killed my best friend you monster right and then he's right. like oh crap right yeah exactly yeah um so it like really it needs to be like well set up for you to like really get into it you know and yeah. get into the 
the nitty gritty of how it makes you feel. Yeah. Um, and next comes one of my favorite speeches when Juliet's like, please, can I just get some dick tonight? That's all I ask. <laughs> um, but I love the comparison she makes. She's like, I'm like a child who has new robes and can't wear them. Like, I'm, yeah. I've, I've become a wife, but I haven't become a wife, you know? Like, they've been married for three hours? <laughs> I think. It's, it's been. Uh, I think she makes hours she least. makes some mention of three hours at some point yeah. in, the, in the play but I just I love like the eagerness of it and just how she switched because because back then like marriage was basically like take take two people and make them one and yeah. you hear that in West Side Story with the make of our head literally the best song in the whole show oh such a good song um and like she's basically like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a wife. Let's do it. And yeah. then she is hit with this bombshell of your your cousin is dead and your husband is banished for killing him. Right. Even though the nurse does a truly horrendous job at delivering this news. Oh, so because bad. she's she's also in shock. So the nurse is like Romeo, Romeo, and he's, you know... The bloody mess, yeah. Yeah, like the bloody mess, and she's like, Romeo died! And then she's like, oh, and, you know, Tybalt, and Tybalt has been slain, and she's like, and my cousin's dead! They're both dead! You know, and then she's she's like, like, oh, they're not, they're not both dead, Romeo just killed your cousin, and then she's like, oh, damn! Yeah, I also love that. She goes, that sucks, and then she goes, ah, at least Romeo's not dead! But I do love that speech of her because that this is one of the great examples of her like talking with the audience to work out a problem. Yeah. Like she has this whole speech about like, wait a minute, like how can I how can I love a man who killed my cousin? But right. no, I'm supposed he's to my love husband. My, right, like I'm supposed to love my family, but I'm also supposed to love my husband. So what am I gonna what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a really like you can watch the logic of her come to the conclusion of no, he's my husband, he is my family. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, like I, this is something that like I put down here in the notes, but like, you know, I think I'd have a different approach. Like, I feel like if my, I get because culture is so different, but like, I feel like if my husband killed my cousin, I'd like tell <laughs> the police, about it. you know, yeah. like <laughs> I'd be like, maybe we shouldn't be married. Like you just killed my cousin. But also I understand like culture is totally different back then. Um, but you know what? You know, I love like this is something that I've I've I have such an internal conflict with because I hate like the stereotypes of like, you know, a woman should serve her husband and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But like I love I love the romance of it, though. Yeah. Like, well, here's the thing. We're set up as like not a good guy. So right. Right. And for her, but for her to say to herself, like, you know, he is my husband. Like at the end of the day, he really is my husband and, and she loves him and she wants to stay married to him. So it's like, I love the romance of being like, but that's my husband, even though he's like literally just killed somebody and like, you know, her like purpose quote unquote is to like be a wife. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. But like, I just, I think the romance still is so prevalent through it. And I think it's well done that way, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think especially, too, like, you can see kind of the how that love has flourished, even in, like, the short time they've been together, but, like, the, the morning after Three hours scene. they've been married. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah. They, so, so Romeo goes to fire Lawrence and the nurse, and they hatch a plan to get Romeo to see Juliet for their wedding night. And right. then 
like they finally, you know, have that wedding night together. We see them the next morning. And I love that little bit of like, no, it's not actually morning yet, is it? And it's like, no, I heard the lark. And she's like, no, it must have been the nightingale. Like how many times have you had like a cuddle session? You're like, nope, I don't want this to be over yet. You know, and all I can picture like is my roommate and I were just talking about this the other day because we were talking about the song, the jazz standard La Vie en Rose. It's, mm-hmm. I guess it's French, but yes. um, so we good. were talking about what makes that song so freaking romantic. Because when you listen to that song, regardless of what language you're listening to it in, it's like so, it, you feel so swooned, like mm-hmm. so in love when you listen to it. And I told her, I was like, because that song feels like I am in Amsterdam the morning after I've just slept with like the person that I love. Yeah. That song makes me feel like I'm like. It is the cl- morning after song. It's the morning after <laughs> song. Like if, but, but like of a beautiful, like romantic If the night balcony together. scene is Moonlight Serenade. <laughs> and then this the the morning after is Levy and Rose, and then when he leaves, it's um, I'll be seeing you like that. <laughs> and that is Romeo and Juliet. Thank you so much Thank for you listening. So much for listening. It's been a great episode. No, <laughs> no, but it's true, right? Like, and that's sort of how she's feeling right now. Is like I feel like Lavian Rose is like playing in her head. Yeah, and you I know. think that's what's so interesting about the way the second half of this setup. It's like set up for something good, and then it's hit with tragedy. We see that again with the morning after, and then. And boom, her parents come in and they're like, you're getting married to Paris. And she's like, shit. And she's like, but I don't love it. But I can't don't do that. Do it. Well, because it's also like, she's like, I made an oath to God that I'm right. married to this man. I'm not going to be a polygamist. Like, exactly. She's like, I can absolutely not marry this guy. And she can't explain why. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But, spoiler alert. Nobody knows that she's married except for the nurse. Except for the nurse and the friar. And the friar. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they basically, her dad gets angry he has a very ferocious speech yes um lord capulet is like the worst yeah and lord worst lord i mean his speech like is it's something that again like sort of going back to like the high schooler who is reading this for the very first time definitely watch it yeah because if you watch him you know like lord capulet like do do this scene it's going to like really kind of strike the fear of God into your heart. It's like very scary, you know? Yeah, it is really scary. And I think that's the thing. Like you see, he, he considers Juliet to be property. She is his property to give away to whomever he pleases. Right. And he sees his wife as property too. Like the way he refers to her, that he definitely thinks of the nurse as property. Like, 100%. It, that's the thing about this man that I think is so detestable is he doesn't see people as other people. He sees them as commodities. Right. Yeah. But mainly women. Mainly women, yes. Well, like, he loves like, Paris. <laughs> yeah, he does for some weird reason. He calls but, him his you know. friend. Well, he's like, oh, you know, Paris is a nice guy. <laughs> right. Who doesn't love Paris? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In the Baz Luhrmann version, it's Paul Rudd and he's like a millionaire. <laughs> so... I mean, who wouldn't love Paul Rudd? Who wouldn't love Paul Rudd? Um, But yeah, so Juliet's like, yeah, I'm not going to marry this guy. And her dad is like, well, if you don't, you're not a part of this family. So Juliet's very upset. She goes to the friar. They hatch a plan. Friar's like, listen, because she basically is like, help me or I'm going to I'm going to off myself. And the friar's like, nope, just wait, you know, hold hold thy steady hand. Um, And then gives her this potion 
that he said play dead yeah play dead be a possum (laughs) um and so she goes okay and i i love about this scene too is like her banter with paris when he's like can't wait to see you soon wifey and she's like exactly she's like i'm not your wife don't touch me (laughs) oh my gosh it's it's a it's a fascinating scene because i don't think like she hated paris but she's like i am not your wife bitch (laughs) no but it's like it's like the again it's like the arranged marriage thing where you're like you know you're you're But it's a little different because he like picked her, you know, it's, it's like, it almost feels like, um, like, like an animal adoption in like the worst way, you know, where like, exactly, exactly. But that's what it feels like, you know, it's like, you're going to be the one to make my babies have fun. Yeah. And not, and not just him, like just the, the, the culture of arranged marriage, you know, where, where they're like, Hmm, well, I guess I'll have you, you know? And then, and then they like, they have to get married and, and it just, it literally just feels like you're like adopting an animal, you know? And it's disgusting. It's terrible. It's definitely a business decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, this, so yeah, yeah that's this plan and this poison essentially is supposed to you know she like says goodbye to her family and she takes this like sleeping po- mm-hmm. potion and, and it's that basically, speech is another good one the decision yeah, making of like oh my gosh is this some horrible trick right you know, right what will happen when i wake up like all of that stuff is just so fast and it really sends her into this kind of like crazed spiral before she's like you know what i'm doing this for romeo i'm doing it right yeah. right and and, you know, obviously it's just supposed to make her look dead so that then they come and see her and they're like, ah, she's dead. And then they can, like, run away and escape together and yeah. be together forever and ever and ever and ever. This wouldn't have happened if email had existed because uh-huh. then Romeo would have just gotten an email. But right. He would have been CC'd. He would have been CC'd. I think that's why they never did, like, a high school modern adaptation of it. You know when they were doing, like, oh, Taming yeah. of the Shrew and all that? They were like, okay, how do we explain this away when there's social media? Like, there's right. no way. Right, This is, like, one of his harder shows to do in a cont- set in a contemporary temporary time yeah because there's so many there's so many like easy yeah. plot holes that you can fill i think it's more fun to like set it in like american history or something like that. yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah and yeah so basically there's like this huge oh miscommunication yeah <laughs> and romey is told that juliet has died which is not true not true um so romeo is like well if my lovers died i've gotta die too you know he's like i'm in love and if she's dead then yeah i might as well not be alive paris is such a gent that he's like i'm gonna go visit my fiance and romeo's like all right i'm gonna kill you i'm sorry (laughs) yeah exactly exactly sorry not sorry get out of my wife's grave (laughs) yeah exactly so he ends up romeo ends up buying um the the poison from the apothecary and who is um, my favorite character in this whole thing i uh, love the apothecary the, the apothecary is so good he's like listen i'm poor so <laughs> yes i'll do it but i don't want to <laughs> he's so funny. you're gonna love my casting for that <laughs> oh i can't wait um <laughs> and yeah so then basically the friars informed that his letter letter to romeo like informing him of the plan did not happen yep yep and and there you have like the big the, the big o problem that's of like the, the whole show. plot <laughs> that's so the whole point paris is dead romeo finds his quote-unquote dead wife um who's not dead who's not dead i think this is like the saddest part of the baz Luhrmann version which was very controversial when it came out so in the baz Luhrmann version he takes the poison and then juliet wakes up he sees her wake up and then he dies Ooh ouch and that like almost hurts more like yeah, I, I think ouch. the way it happens is very tragic at least more for Juliet than than him but I think the Baz Luhrmann version made it just as tragic for Romeo as it was for Juliet yeah yeah well it's almost like um it gives me very uh 
uh, oh, what is the, what's that movie? Uh, um, what's that murder mystery movie that everybody loves? Knives Out. Knives Out. It's just like at Knives Out, where at, like, the very end, you find out that, um, she didn't actually give him the drugs. Yeah. And that he literally just killed himself and it was a complete accident. Yeah, that part hurt. Like, that's so, that's so sad. Yeah. You know, that's so sad. I would literally die if I was Juliet. You know, it's warranted. It's so upsetting. It's It's like, yeah, it's so upsetting. And she finds Um, like, not only her husband, but also Paris is dead. The friar's like, girl, we got to get out. And she's like, nope, 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 nope. Right. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially she decides like to kill herself. You know, she's like, she finds out that he's actually dead because he thought that she was dead. Yeah. Um, And so she's like, well, then I guess I might as well die. The version that you and I both watched in preparation for this, it's not my favorite version of the show. No, But I will say my favorite part of it is the way that Juliet delivers the line, thy lips are warm, when she's just like screaming because she's like, you you were just here. You were just here with me. Yeah. It's, and, and again, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna literally pound it into the ground, but like if it's set up properly, all of it is warranted. Yeah. All of their behavior, all of their choices, like their yes, it's feelings, extreme, like, but it's warranted. It is ex- yeah, like it is extreme, but if you if you're literally living in the middle of a war, you know, like between and you fall in love with somebody who you're in the middle of a war with, like it's a it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal. So yeah, but essentially the the Capulets and the Montagues they decide to end their quarrel. Yeah, they put this thing to, to bed. Yeah, after, you know, members of each of their families died. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tragic ending uh, to, you know, an iconic love story um, in one of Shakespeare's most famous plays, if yeah. not the most famous It is probably the most famous. Yeah. Um, I'd argue it's probably the most referenced play ever yeah like i agree just yeah the absolutely play ever it, absolutely and there's so many things that are taken from it and stuff it's yeah. just you know yeah. i also this is so small but i love that juliet's name was so hard to rhyme that they ended up having to end it with juliet and her romeo because romeo rhymes yeah but i also kind of love that idea that like she she is our titular character yeah Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Jay and her man. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, another another great another great movie that is um or you know, another like I I feel like there's so many so many people take from this play and mm-hmm. meld it to their own ideas and thoughts yeah. and stuff like that. But it really is a play about more about Juliet than it is. Yeah. I mean, even look at like, like West side story and Titanic. Like I, especially the newer version, I feel like it's very Maria centric. Oh yeah. And like Titanic obviously is all about Rose. Right. Right. But like, yeah, I think like Juliet is the one that grows and changes yeah. as our protagonist. Like, I think, obviously, like, per- Romeo is a secondary protagonist. He does so much talking. Yeah. Um, he's in more of the play than he's she is. He's in more of it, and he drives a lot of the action. But in terms of, like, the person who goes on an intellectual journey with it, it's usually right. her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, you know, I, it, it, it sort of... Um, you know, brings us into sort of 
our versions of, of yes. the play of what we want to see and what we want to do. So would you rather go through cast first or design first? Uh, my design is super simple. I think All the right, show can be it. done anywhere. Um, I, I really love doing it outdoors just because I feel like it's a very earthy thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I love to keep it as minimalist as possible. I mm. think like the, the simpler it is production wise, the more effective it is because it is just like a human story. Yeah. Um, and the writing, I mean, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I also love incorporating <laughs> music. I love incorporating light motifs into stuff as you yeah. know. Um, that was one thing we did with the version that we did was we brought in a bunch of like civil war folk songs and, and added oh, them into nice. the show. And it was, it was really nice. Um, and then, so tell me about your design. Um, you know, I've got, I've got some ideas. I've okay. got some ideas. I mean, I definitely would love to see it in like an amphitheater. Yes. It's, it's not the kind of show I think, it's not the Shakespearean show I think I'd want to see like in the park. I feel like I'd want to see like Twelfth Night or the Scottish play, like quote unquote in the park, like where there's no theater. It's just like, you know. Just on the ground. Yeah, just like I, on like, the ground. I like having it on a, on a stage for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like but this levels. play, yeah, this, this play feels like it needs like an amphitheater. Yeah. Um, and I'm really like, personally struggling to decide whether I'd want to see it done like traditional or not traditional. I think I decided on like mainly traditional with some non-traditional elements. Yeah. Um, because I don't think I want to see like a contemporized version of this. I like, like a the fully contemporary. Versions. Yeah. Yeah. Like a fully contemporary version. I'm not sure I'd want to see. Um, but I also think I've never seen Romeo and Juliet live, like live, live. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me like feels like I only want to see a traditional version live because I've never seen one as opposed to a contemporary approach. Cause nine times out of 10, I'd pick a more contemporary approach. But, um, but this is one I'm not sure I would. The only thing that I would really love to see made contemporary, um, like I'd love to see it with stereotypical casting in the way that you typically see it done and and stereotypical language and, you know, like uh, interpretations of the language. But and this is the this is the big thing. So if you're not into politics, stop the podcast now. <laughs> um, but I would really love to see it done with like a liberals versus conservatives sort of view on it that would be interesting um because i think that the biggest thing that is the problem between these between the montagues and the capulets is like their inability to see the common ground of it all of themselves and their you know where they're similar all they can do is point out all the ways that they're different and um neither of them are willing to take responsibility for the the places where they're lacking Mm -hmm. um and i think we see that in both of our two party system. Yeah. And you know, and um obviously I I I fall under one of these parties, but even still there is um there's a lot of things that are wrong with both parties that they're not willing to acknowledge within themselves. Oh yeah. The, I know, mean the two party system is so polarized at this point that like yeah. it's hard to move forward and have like find the middle ground on things cuz right. that's how progress is built through compromise so like finding things that work for both sides. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, so I I It sounds I'm, like I'm both sidesing it. It's not. It's more in terms of like logistical lawmaking. Right, where, right. And I'm interested in seeing where that compromise could lie. Like and I'm interested in seeing that done in a production of this. Yeah. You know, so if if you take it to that extreme 
extreme. Like I love to see, you know, I feel like the costumes could be exactly what you think. Like for those who are, you know, fighting on the conservative side, maybe some red, white and blue. And, you know, for those on the, um, the liberal side, I I could see a a lot of different things. I could see, you know, all black, all white. I could also see red, white, and blue. I could see rainbow. I could see red, blue, and purple. Like there's, there's a lot of different things you could see for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just think that that would be an interesting way to make it contemporary, but keeping the majority of the rest of it classic. Um, yeah. You know, uh, definitely lots of combat. And I think, you know, music, probably the more classic, the better. I don't think I'd want to see it with contemporary music. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I I think, like, there's a way to... I I'd there's be a way to find to a middle ground. I'd be interested to see if you could, like, Bridgerton it, you know? Like, yeah, take a exactly. song and then adjust the, the, the way it's per- performed. It, the, and even just the instrumentation of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, why don't we talk about some Dreamcast ideas? Because yes. I know we're both pretty excited about I'm these. I'm so excited. Okay, okay. So here's what I'm thinking. For Romeo, I either want Jack Dylan Grazer or Kadar Williams Sterling. So. Oh. The first one is he was in like it chapter one. He played young Eddie uh-huh. and he also is the voice of one of the kids in Luca. I think he's so talented. He's in Shazam. I think he's just like one of the most talented young actors working today. And then Kadar Williams Sterling was in sex education. He plays uh-huh. Jackson and he's just like, he yeah, literally played so Romeo in the show. Like he's, he's so good. He's so good. He's so talented. And his eyes are just Ugh. He's dreamy. an incredible actor. So dreamy. Yes. And then for Juliet, I'd want Sophia Wiley from um, uh, High School Musical, the musical, the series. Okay. I think she'd be so good. She's just so sweet. And um, she's young, too. Like, I feel like the younger these characters are, the better. The better. Like, both yeah. she and Jack Dylan Grazer, Grazer are, like, 18 years old. Right. So I think they're right in that sweet spot of, like, being young. Right. Um, and then for Benvolio, okay, so precursor, I've been watching a lot of sex education. The whole cast is so talented, so you're going to see a lot of sex education people in this list. So, uh, Nkuti Gatwa, who plays Eric in Sex Ed, I think he'd be a great Benvolio. Okay. And then for Mercutio, I'd want Emma Mackey, who plays Maeve in Sex Ed. Nice. Um, I think she'd be brilliant because she, she's like funny, but has that bite, you know? Yeah, which is important. And then for Tibble, I'd want Jack Quaid. He is Jack the, Quaid. He's the son Stop. of Dennis Quaid and and um oh what's her face from oh. Meg Ryan. And he's also in the boys and in the new Scream movie. I think he'd be perfect. I'm sorry. I love Dennis Quaid. Any <laughs> any offspring of, of Dennis Quaid. It's I'm, wild I stand when you behind. look at him, he literally looks like the perfect combination of his parents. It's wild. Yeah. It's I'm looking at him wild. right now. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Yeah. <laughs> And then for Paris, I'd want a slightly younger Tom Holland. Stop! We did pick the same person. I also put Tom Holland. I was like, it has to be the most likable actor in Hollywood. And I was like, okay, Tom Holland. He was my first person I put in this entire cast. Tom Holland Paris. (laughs) And I'd also want him to double as the prince. Yeah. I'd want him to play both. Um, and then for Lady Cap, I think you'll like this one. I want Taraji P. Henson. Ooh. I think she'd be really good. And then for the nurse, I want Yvette Nicole Brown. Oh, great choice. I love her so much. I think she'd be brilliant because she, like, a lot of people don't know that she's just as good at dramatic acting as she is yeah. at comedy. So I think yeah. she'd be Yeah, that's a perfect. great choice. 
And then for Lord Cap, I'm really happy about this one, Kyle Gallner. Um, he's been in a lot of obscure stuff. His probably most recognized role is he plays the emo kid in the movie Jennifer's Body. And he's also in the new Scream movie. Um, and he is so talented. I think he's one of the most talented actors working today. And he doesn't get a lot of big roles. So I want him to play Lord Capitol. Yeah, okay. I stand behind that. Yeah. Because I think he could come off very like soft and pleasant. And then when he gets mean, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's uh, Sure, right. And then I'm going to butcher this next guy's name, but I want Friar Lawrence to be played by Domhnall Gleeson. Um, he was in Star Wars. He also played Bill Weasley in Harry Potter. <laughs> he's in the movie About Time. I think he'd be brilliant because he's just so like sweet and soft and nice. Yeah. Um, oh, love it. And then for Lord Montague, I'd want Thomas Sadowski, a favorite yes. of the Playdate yes. <laughs> podcast. Um, and then for Lady Montague, you'll like this one, Laura Benanti. Laura Benanti, good, yeah, good choice. I just I'll feel take like it. she and Thomas would be a power couple. Yeah, it would be great. Ooh, um, I love it. And then last but certainly not least, our apothecary would be Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Stop! Oh my God, classic Julia. Such mortal drugs I have. <laughs> I love it. That's a that's a rock star cast you got. I'm glad you like it. So I, I know who it. your Paris is. Tell me yes, everyone else. Yes, you do. You do know my Paris. And he's the most sure I am about every person in this cast. There is nobody else in Hollywood who can play Paris the way that Tom Holland can play Paris yeah. right now. I just know it. He's just, um, he's perfect. So both of my Jul- my Romeo and Juliet, like they need to be younger. Mm-hmm. They're both sitting on the high, the very high end of any believable anything. They're far older than Romeo and Juliet are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but picture them younger. So Romeo, a younger um, Rami Malik baby. Oh my God, um, I love him. Or um, Rami and Caramelou. Oh my God, I love him. Yeah, like both of them being younger. I love and them both so much. And then Juliet, I'm saying a younger Kira Knightley or a younger Emma Watson. Oh, oh, okay. Or what I, I would like to see. Honestly, I'd love to see Kira and Rami in something together. I know. I feel like they'd have great chemistry. Yeah. But I also like kind of wanted to see like a... I've seen them work together and I think that they do, they have really great chemistry. So I was also toying around with the idea of like a gender bent Romeo and Juliet of doing um, Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza (gasps) as Romeo and Juliet uh, respectively. Okay, just picture this. Young Winona Ryder as Romeo and young Kate Winslet as Juliet. Oh, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. I'd literally burst into flames. I know. know, Me too. (laughs) Me too. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like anybody, any two actors that have good chemistry, I'm all for them playing Romeo and Juliet. You know, Um, my Benvolio, I've got Cal Penn. Do you know who Cal Penn is? I don't. I'm going to look him up right now. Oh, Cal Penn. He's in a house. He's a designated survivor. He's in Harold and Kumar. Super, super famous actor. Um, And he he was on designated survivor, and he actually worked in the White House um, before being on designated survivor. And I think that's where he met his partner. Um, oh. was in the White House. Um, but Cal Penn is an amazing actor, um, and I think he'd be great in that role. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Mercutio, I've got our good old, another Playdate staple, Andrew Scott. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I got a lot of Shakespearean actors in here because I just want to see them. I want to yeah. see them do Shakespeare. I um, love Andrew Scott I so love much. Andrew Scott. So then we've got Tybalt, um, and I've got Joe Keery. I like um, that. For Tybalt. Yeah, I just feel... I. I think there's something about Joe's 
demeanor that feels a little evil. He reminds me of my cousin, so that's really fitting. <laughs> Sorry to Julia's cousin. I'm sure you're not evil. Oh, no, um, just like Joe Keery reminds me of my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> um, for Lord Montague, I've got Mandy Patinkin, baby. Yes. Mandy Patinkin. I saw him in a... I So I watched Sense and Sensibility the other night with... with I knew that. With Caroline. <laughs> she told me. <laughs> And there, there was a trailer that kept on coming up, and it had a little bit of Mandy in it. And every time he came on, I was like, "Oh, Mandy!" Like the ads Mandy were so thinking. annoying, but I was like, "At least Mandy's in." <laughs> yeah, right. Um, for Lord Capulet, I've got Ian McKellen. <laughs> I love Ian. <laughs> I love Ian McKellen. He's so good. I love him. So oh my much. god, he's so good. Um, this is a super weird, obscure one, but for Lady Capulet, I've got Tracy Ullman. I think um, it's pronounced she, Yulman, and I Yulman. Approve. Yeah, I she she plays the mom in uh, Jack's mom in Into the Woods in the movie version. I can totally just see her y- yelling some ape shit, crazy bullshit <laughs> that Lady Capulet's spewing out. I feel like she'd be great. Uh, my Paris is Tom Holland, as we've obviously already talked about. Of course, um, the king. Yeah, for the servant, the like goofy, goofy servant. I've got um, Samira Wiley, Looking who played up. Pusey Washington in, in Orange is the New Black. That's like their most famous work. Um, but I think <gasps> Ooh, they would be. Gorgeous. Yeah, I know, isn't she? I think she would be like, per, like great in that role. Um, the nurse. Oh, I've got Maggie Smith. Oh, as my the nurse. God. I feel like she'd be. God's lady, dear, are you so hot? (laughs) And then I only have one of the friars, um, but I've got Friar Lawrence as our good old friend Mark Ruffalo. (laughs) Yeah. I love Mark Ruffalo. I love Mark Ruffalo. I just want to see Mark Ruffalo do some Shakespeare. I would love that. I would love that. He's so good. I love him. I know. He's a great actor. So, um, So that is my cast. I love that. So, Katie, what is your call to action for RNG? I've got three, but I'll make them quick. Um, <laughs> my first, my first call to action is just you know it's the month of love. We're we're near and gearing up to the day of love. Um, and uh, this will come out on the day of love. It will, yeah, it will. Happy and day I'm, of love. Happy day of love. We spent it together last year as well, Julia. Oh my um, god! Are oh. you my Valentine? Do you want to be my Valentine? Oh my gosh, yes! Um, I'd love to be your Valentine. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm just a, such a huge like hopeless romantic I always have been and I'm really working on being vulnerable with myself I'm working on being vulnerable with my friends and family and my partner and just being more open and communicative and understanding what I want and what I don't and um you know so my 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 call to action here is just to work on it with myself you know work on that vulnerability uh to get the the future the life that I want for myself um so yeah so that's just a little personal goal um the second is to try to understand the people around me more you know obviously we're talking a lot about feuds between you know in this case families but i've touched a little bit on political parties and stuff and i just i just think that um nobody's gonna get anywhere if we keep talking over each other you know so my um my my call to action is just to listen harder listen harder listen longer listen better and try to you know empathize and and learn even more about things even if you disagree with it like listen to it hear what they're saying you know take it in you can sit with it as long or as little as you want whenever you want but take it in you know and and 
put it away and take it out when you're ready when you're ready for it um yeah and my last call to action is just to do Shakespeare again. It's been a while. I haven't done Shakespeare in a little over two years. Let's uh, do it. Perf- Let's do a scene together. Let's, yeah, it, I would Katie. love to. I just i i love um, i love his work, and you know that's a welcome change for me. So I, I would love to um, to just dissect some more with some different plays that that he's written. Hell so yeah. yeah, what are your calls to action, Julia? I have one. Um, and it's basically just that love is stronger than hate and like it, it's an old it's an old phrase but i think it brings true especially now love thy enemy yeah love like, thy enemy nothing like not that you should go in with the goal of changing anybody's mind but nothing changes a mind quite like kindness <laughs> completely i totally agree yeah. it it makes a huge difference and i think like you said like trying to find something in common yeah, can make a huge difference and just because I mean, like there, my brother and I were, you know, sitting in the car with my aunt and we we come from very different political belief systems and just having a conversation and just explaining why you think what you think makes such a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just as important like you're you, you know, we all think that our own side is right no matter what side of anything you stand on mm-hmm. um regardless of if it's who took the cookie out of the cookie jar or you know who should be the president of the united states like we all have our own belief and thought and idea on things but yeah. like your idea is not always right you know your idea and belief is your own idea and belief and it's just as important to be open to listening to other people as it is to you know being an advocate for what you choose to believe in yeah and I mean, I'm not saying don't be an advocate and don't be no, loud. No, definitely, and, you know, definitely be loud. Be think. loud. Be an advocate, but listen yeah. too. Listen. Don't yeah. talk over people. Listen to them. You yeah. know, we're never going to get anything done any other way. Yeah. So, anywho, um, this has been probably one of Playdate's longest episodes. Probably. Um, but thank you for sticking with with us through it. Uh, do you have any other last minute announcements, thoughts, feelings, ideas? Tell Anything? someone you love them today because it is the day of love. Text someone who you've been meaning to text and just say like, "Hey, I miss you. I love you. Yeah. I hope you're having a good day." Julia, also, eat some chocolate. I love you. I love you. I love you. I miss you. Eat some chocolate. Yeah, we're gonna get chocolate when we go on our play date. Perfect. <laughs> we're gonna get um, magnolia cupcakes. Yes, baby. Cho- chocolate magnolia cupcakes. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna keel over and die <laughs> of happiness. Uh, thank you, folks, for joining us for our um, first episode of season two. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, keep your eye peeled on some more uh, episodes coming your way. Also, be sure to give us a rating. Um, on the app of your choosing uh, that you choose to listen to us on any and every rating and review uh, means the world and we we take the time to look listen and read all of those um, so you know feel free to uh, do that and um, and we will see you next time see you in two weeks thank you for joining us for this week's play date you can follow us on instagram at playdate.podcast for updates giveaways and more fun stuff Our cover art was designed by Levi Denton Hughes. Our sound engineer is Josh Wall. Our PR manager is Josh Miller. And our theme music was composed and recorded by Mickey Wadsworth. I'm Kate. And I'm Julia. Keep playing. Keep playing.